You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And I'm really excited about this episode because I have got a young man from Ohio named Glenn Rafferty on the show. And if I could just describe him really quickly, he is a young nomadic outdoorsman. I mean, from the time he was 16, he decided, I'm going to go and hunt a bunch of different places. I'm not just going to get stuck on my home property or in my own little area, my county, in Ohio, I'm going to go all over the place and hunt as many different things as I can. And so to dive into some of his stories of things that he's already chased after all over the country is pretty awesome. Not to mention when he is at home, he's going around and knocking on hundreds of doors a year to get permission. He's passionate about getting new hunters out there. And so all around, this is an amazing episode. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Let's jump into the episode with Glenn. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is Glenn Rafferty, an outdoorsman from Ohio. And man, I'm excited for this episode, man, because you you hunt all over the place. And a lot yeah. of people from the Midwest, especially anywhere east of the Mississippi, honestly, they just 
I feel like people easily get stuck in their area, but you've been fortunate enough to travel all over the place. So thanks for hopping on, man. It's going to be fun. Thank you for having me. Why don't you uh, share with the listeners maybe what it is in the outdoors that you do, where you hunt, and how you got into it? So I started out pretty early from my dad used to take me out and I used to sit on a bucket and fall asleep or go sit in the sand. And ever since my youngest memories of watching my dad shoot a doe and ever since then I was so excited to get out and try to do it on my own. And growing up, I've always watched all the TV shows and never really played sports because I was just always wanting to go outside and go shoot squirrels, rabbits and deer. And as I got older, I got my driver's license. I mean, I hunted a lot growing up, but once I turned 16, that's when the addiction really started. And I started meeting a bunch of new people through tournaments, ice archery tournaments. I met a lot of people through there and learned a lot. And just hearing their stories just really drove me crazy and just wanted to get out there and just learn and do as much as I could. Yeah, that's sweet. What what was it about being 16? I mean, was it that you had your license and you could actually travel all over and hunt? I, I yeah, I grew up in a pretty uh pretty easy coming up. My parents let me do about what I what I wanted, so I can go where I wanted as long as they knew where I was and so I anywhere I could hunt, anything that was in season, I would go and hunt from bear to turkey, uh elk, mule deer, I've hunted it all, coos deer. I've been all around. I've been all around. I'm very lucky too, and I travel as much as I can. Yeah. What uh? What was your first out of state hunt that you did? I was the the year I turned twelve years old is on my birthday. My dad drew for a youth cow elk tag, and I was able to fill my tag on the first day. We had a fabulous hunt. We seen a lot of elk, and I, I mean I was. It was something so different from the Ohio whitetail and the Ohio turkey. And I, ever since going out west for the first time, I fell in love with it out there. It's just such a different environment than it is back home. And just seeing those big animals roam around is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, the addiction really hits once you realize how quickly you can get out of state and go hunt something else. But, I mean, that's a big change, elk versus, you know, whitetail in Ohio. Oh, yeah. We did a little bit of West Virginia deer hunt too growing up, uh, maybe right before I went on that elk hunt, but the first big out-of-state hunt was Colorado. Yeah. Is that – now these hunts that you go on out-of-state, are those hunts that you do every year now, or are you still exploring new states or kind of gave up on some? Uh, we try to go, or I try to go. Me and my dad usually try to go on our own hunts together once a year for something new whether I have the gun or he has the gun. But me personally, I'm trying to go as many different states as I can. doesn't matter what it is for, whitetail, turkey. Uh, we're just trying to see as much land as we can and just enjoy it while we have it. Yeah. Did it, did your dad hunt out of state quite a bit, or was it really when you when you were kind of of age that he started exploring that stuff? So growing up, my dad hunted a lot. And right when I started hunting, he slowed down just so I can start hunting more. He mostly focuses on the business now and just helps me out and helps find areas for me to go. But growing up, my dad did hunt out west quite a bit, and he's a part of a lot of out west hunts. And 
he shot a couple. He shot a nice bull out in Canada, I believe. Uh, nice six by seven. And I always seen that growing up, and I've always wanted to get out in there and chase them. Man, everybody's got that person in their life, whether it's a parent or a neighbor that gets out and hunts. And it seems kind of unattainable as a kid or even in high school. For me, you know, it was the landowner who let us hunt whitetails on his property. He would always come back and he's like, oh, just got back from Colorado muzzleloader season. And I'm like, what? Like you went all the way to Colorado? Isn't that like a $30,000 hunt, you know? And hearing about how easily you can get a tag out there. There's so many out of out of state tags that you can pick up. And it's not just in Colorado. There's things like that all over the place. But hearing that he would, he'd sell his dairy cows and he'd go out there for a full month with his muzzleloader or with his bow, you know, depending on which year it was. And he's like, I just camp out for 30 days and I'll resupply halfway through the trip i'll go into town and get some more rice and beans and he would just go out there and chase after him and that was always such a foreign concept to me because just like you and just like probably a lot of people listening you know that five gallon bucket you got well acquainted with it growing yeah. up you sat on it you just waited for a deer to come hoping yeah. it was a good one and yeah once you start branching out it changes everything absolutely and as i started getting a little older i started really getting into like finding and chasing big mature whitetail because i live in ohio and i'm very lucky to have a lot of permissions that i've knocked on and gotten and we own some land ourselves and my dad growing up anything that was you know decent once gun season came he'd shoot and i'd shoot i'll shoot my does early but once i get my does out of the way i'm really trying to target one pacific deer and it's it's been up and I've had a lot of up and up and downs and but we're trying to make it work. I'm trying to get better at it. But I've killed yep. a couple bucks last year. I ended up shooting a deer that went just under 160. But uh, opening day, uh, I was watching this deer for two years. I had come in and he was four and a half year old, roughly around like one. It's probably around 170. And he came in opening day, and I just – I let my nerves get ahead of me, and I took a shot, and it wasn't the best shot. And I I had good blood, really good blood. But we tracked it for two, 300 yards, and just never gave up. And then we came back two days later with a group of guys, and we grid searched it, and we couldn't find it. And then a week later, I ended up having it on trail camera again. He was good. And he ended up getting killed by a neighbor later on that year. Oh, man. That's when but, you go, hey, it's first blood, man. First blood, yeah. you know, that's my deer. <laughs> and that was a big one. He was he was nice enough to call me because me and him are about the only ones that can hunt this hunt anywhere near this big park. And he was nice enough to call me, and I came out and checked it out. And it, it was pretty – it was wild. It was cool, though. What was the verdict? Where uh, where was your shot placement on it? Actually, I I hit almost right in front of the shoulder. At and so he's he's cornering away, walking away, and I hit right in front of the shoulder and it came out like through the neck, the bottom of the neck, but nothing there. Grabbed and yeah, it was just all meat. Oh man, that's that's a bummer. Like I've never even had a shot at a deer that size, so. You know, I hear the stories and the heartbreak, but honestly, it's 
you know, a learning lesson and each yeah. something like that you grow from. Um, what, so what did last season look like for you as far as all the different hunts you did? Last season, I went, I went to New Mexico in October and we went out for bear because I've went on a couple bear hunts growing up, but we never had luck with dogs. And we went with an outfitter out in New Mexico. And the first day of the hunt, we weren't even in New Mexico for 24 hours. We ended up having a big cinnamon bear come in. I was able to harvest that with my bow. That was that was pretty cool. That was the first look at bear and just how they did it out there is a lot different. And New Mexico was beautiful. Well, yeah, what was that like? Break down that hunt for me. Cause I've never the southeast is a place or the southwest is a place that you don't necessarily think about for bear. You know, Pennsylvania, the Virginias, like uh Kentucky, they're all places that have great bears, even the northeast, but like the western states, the mountain states. It's awesome, but the Southwest, I just feel like, is kind of uh, a less known about uh, part of the country as far as bear hunting. So in New Mexico, they have the color phases. They have the cinnamons and the black bear, and I was really wanting to kill a cinnamon. And so we met up with an outfitter, and we talked to him on the phone and just kind of, like, got the whole deal about the whole situation. And he ended up sending us a pin on Onyx, to go to the camp so we started heading down to new mexico we drove straight there's 28 hours and we're following this pin through the national forest trying to find the camp and we couldn't find it for a good couple hours it ended up being right off a trail that we just kept passing and he kept he put a red marker up top on a tree that we were supposed to find but it was not very visible at all but we got into camp that day and he was showing us bears that they shot within the weeks past because he he stays out there for months. The whole bear season, he'll stay out there and just have new people come in, new people leave. And so he's talking about our how successful it could possibly be. And so we all went back to the camp. We ate and went to bed. And right in the morning, we struck up on a bear with dogs. And we were on that bear for probably two and a half hours. And the bear went tree for a while. And the dogs came run to us as bear came run full ass. They're yelling about getting the gun, getting the gun, because I want to use my bow. So they came in the gun, but right when I grabbed the gun, the bear ended up treeing. And that was a whole that was a whole experience right there, just watching all those dogs work and seeing the love that those dogs have doing that. Cause being around hunting dogs, you can see how much they 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 live for it. It's just yeah. watching them tree bear and doing what they love that was really cool but that bear ended up running up the tree about 35 yards and i was able to shoot it and that was a pretty cool experience that was the first time i ever done anything like that and i I loved it dang i can't i can only imagine i mean i've got to watch dogs work like that before and it is the most like thrilling thing because even when you're not on something if they strike out at all it's just immediate. I mean, it's like having a deer, like sitting in the tree stand all day long, not seeing anything. And then all of a sudden you see a deer all the way across the field. And it just kind of reignites that like excitement in you. And hearing those dogs, even, even one of them, like, it's instant. Like, Oh, is this it? Is this it? Here we go. And the guy, the guys that run the dogs, they love just watching dogs. They don't even, they don't care for harvesting the animals at all. They just like watching their dogs work and, let them do what they love, which is just amazing. It was 
awesome experience. That was pretty cool. Now, this year's bear hunt, I ended up harvesting a black bear in West Virginia with a good buddy of mine, Mason. Uh, he has a farm, a family farm that they had a lot of bear on this year, and they're getting photos of him because he runs cameras all year. And right when season's coming up, early September, uh, they kept getting these bears that were walking this big acorn flat, like pretty constantly every day. So, uh, opening day or the opening day deer season, I ended up making my way down there. And our first sit, we ended up having a bear come in right at last light and oh, just read perfectly. And we hang and hunt that day. We hung our stand that night, that morning, hunted and ended up shooting the bear that afternoon after sitting all day. And that was a whole different story and a whole different type of bear hunting, which was kind of cool to see both acts aspects of hunting bear from tree stand to using dogs and just watching that bear work his way in and laying down and just, he'd stand back up and lay back down for about an hour that was an adrenaline rush but it ended up working his way into about 30 yards and i made a perfect shot and it ran about 45 yards and piled up that was oh a gosh but, dang that, was, that that sounds incredible i've i've had a couple bear tags but never even seen a bear like and, and it's just public land. I get a bear tag when I go out elk hunting, hoping like, oh, maybe I'll see one. Maybe I won't. Who knows? And every time I talk to somebody about bear hunting, whether it's with hounds, whether it's with bait, or whether you're just out hunting and you see one, bear, like something about a predator, right? Something about a big furry animal that could tear you up is just thrilling. Absolutely. So... Now you did the bear hunt. What, uh, what other hunts did you have this past season? This past season, I made it out to Colorado. We all hunted for a couple of days. I had an opportunity on a bull and some never really gave me a good shot. And we were hunting unit 55 and that third season, the snow came down really, really. So those elk came, those elk are usually up high. When that snow comes down, they move down lower. Well, the season, the season before the third season, the snow hit hard and pushed those elk down low for third third season rifle, and a lot of people harvested those elk. So we went down for fourth season, and a lot of there's small herds all in little patches of woods, and it's really hard to find them. And I ended up helping. I was on my way out one night, and I seen an old guy who shot a muley, and I ended up helping him pack that mule deer out, and. He ended up giving me a pin to where he seen a group of elk with one bull in it. So that morning, me, my dad, and one of his buddies ended up making our way to that pin. And right at first light, we ended up seeing five cows and that bull run down. They sat into a group of pines. And there's only one way in the pines, really, and one way out. So we ended up sitting on the way out for those elk to get out about 400 yards away. And we sat there for about six hours. And after six hours, the first cow ended up walking out and running up the hill. And then it kept happening. The bull finally stepped out and gave us a shot. But it, we never really got a good shot at that bull. And he ended up making it out of there, too. And the next day, my dad was able to harvest the cow. Oh, which sweet. Was, and that was the last day. So we ended up we able to pack that out and head home and have a little bit of elk meat for the season. Dang, man. It's it's just an amazing time when you can get out to a new area and hunt. Like, oh, yeah. I tell people all the time, just find something. 
find something, even if it's not out of state, go to a different part, like make a trip out of it. Cause you know, waking up early and driving somewhere and hunting the day and coming back, that's fun. Oh, but yeah. You actually like go with a couple buddies or with your dad or cousin or son or grandpa or whoever. I feel like every guy needs to have a trip or two like that a year where they can just get away. That's where my love of turkey hunting really started was being able to get out and do it really cheap and sleep in my truck and go to new public lands and be aggressive and trying to get it done in one or two days and then head back home. Uh, this next week, and I'm heading to, or this week, I'm heading to Virginia actually to go hunt birds for a couple of days and on some public land. And I get back and I'll be heading to West Virginia and I'll get for the Monday and Tuesday opener. And I'll get back again. I leave for Michigan the next week and I'll be back in Ohio later that week to hunt. And at the end of the year, I'm heading to Wyoming. And I'm really excited about that because we're hunting a new species, which is Merriam's. And oh, I've always nice. Merriam. And my goal is to do the slam eventually one day. So this will be my foot step in the door for getting my Marion down. And I'm excited about that because it's just that looks totally different than our hunting our Easterns back home in the hills of Ohio and West Virginia. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, I mean, you've hunted a ton of different species. What's your favorite out of all of them? I'd say in between, probably turkey. There's something about chasing those birds and getting them to respond to you and getting their reaction when they come to the decoys, beat up on the decoys and gobbling real close to you. It's just nothing like it. Yeah. That's, that's probably my favorite. Turkey hunting is like, it's, it's a rush in that you hear them from so far away. I mean, kind of like, kind of like elk, right? Yeah. You hunt them in the rut. You just hear them from so far away and you can tell like they're coming to me or they're not. Uh, you can call, you can communicate. And I don't know, man, it's, it's growing on me lately. I used to trash talk turkeys like crazy. I, I would just be like, this is the dumbest thing. This is a bunch of guys who are just bored from the winter that just need to get out and shoot something. But lately I find myself getting more and more excited about season. Yeah, that, that's really what I like being able to like react with the bird and kind of play his game and see what he wants to do. Cause every bird, I've realized it's different. You either got a bird that's going to want to come in or you got a bird that does not want to come in at all. And you either you got to work around what he wants to do, not what you want to do. And yeah. we've I've been pretty lucky. I've been pretty successful in Turkey Woods and been able to guide a bunch of people out around me to get their first birds or a bird in general. And last year I had a great season. I got 12 people on long beers last year. And within my I got my own too. I shot – I shot my one West Virginia, one in Ohio last year. That was the only two I shot last year. But other than that, I got a bunch of kids their first turkeys last year, which was fantastic. That's one thing I'm really starting to enjoy is taking younger kids out and just getting their first animals. I've had a blast with that. Just seeing the love through their, through their eyes, just that's fun. Yeah, when you can get somebody on their first bird, man, or their first animal, period. Mm -hmm. I've had some buddies, and it's not like – it's not like they've even hunted before. They've been, they're like, yeah, man, I'd come out and shoot something. And I'm like, all right, you know, show up. And it's funny because we'll go duck hunting and they're in like blue jeans. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, I, I should have given you some more guidance on this. But, 
you know, going out and helping them get their first duck or goose or coyote or rabbit, that, that spark that you just see it in their eyes, like, oh my gosh, it's just getting back in tune with our instincts. And like, we are, we're predators, you know, we've been hunting since the beginning of time. And when you can get out there and successfully do it, there's nothing like it, especially with kids. Oh yeah. A lot of people I realize nowadays are, they talk like people that don't hunt, they don't really understand it until they actually go out and try it for the first time. Like that, just that adrenaline rush and just being out in nature and getting away from everything that really can change a person to loving the outdoors for, and trying to become more of an outdoorsman to hunt and just be outside more. Yeah. All right. How, how do you go about finding all these people? I mean, are they buddies ears or, you know, friend of a friend that's like, Hey man, I want to get on the Turkey or are you actually promoting it somewhere to take people out? I don't really promote it. I got a lot of people that come up and ask me cause a lot of, a lot of people know me in this area and they always will shoot me a text on Instagram or my phone number and ask if I can take them out. If I got time, I usually will take them out and get, try to get them on a bird and, I have some parents that end up texting me too to take their kids out because their dad don't hunt and they want their sons to hunt. I have more mothers that want their sons to get in hunting than their fathers actually mm. with kids. So I have a lot of mothers text me to have me take their sons out, try to get their first deer turkey. And those mothers just love it, love getting their sons out in the woods. And that's, that's really what I enjoy now. It's fun. Yeah, that's sweet, man. To be able to pass that torch on, so to speak, to another generation and who knows, you know, like those kids, what they're going to do with, with hunting and outdoors, it could be that they start a camp where they get a bunch of people out on their first birds because they remember that with you, or, you know, maybe they just become lifelong hunters and travel all over the place the same way that you do. Absolutely. What, uh, so you said that you've got a lot of properties there in Ohio to hunt, um, are you are you mainly hunting turkey and whitetail on those? Uh, around yeah, Ohio, well, I'm also big into waterfowl hunting. I got into waterfowl hunting a couple of years ago to kind of change things up. So between turkey, whitetail, and waterfowl, that's mostly what I try to get permission on around here. And yeah. waterfowl is just kind of a thing that my dad never did, and no one around here really does. And we live in the Porch Lake. We got a lot of lakes around us. We got a decent amount of birds that come through and and migrate. And so we got a decent amount of fields and I've always looked at these geese thinking it was stupid. I think waterfowl hunting was stupid. <laughs> so uh, one of my good buddies up in Toledo who guides, uh, Jordan Cole, uh, they invited me to come down and try to shoot some ducks. And I went down there and I had a ball. I got home that later that week and I bought a new shotgun, decoys, and dozens and dozens of goose uh decoys not knowing what i'm doing at all and started knocking on doors and ended up my first goose hunt ever going out ended up tag or limiting out and that's really what did it when i was able to go do it by myself and know that i didn't just blow all this money for <laughs> no and i ended up buying a boat later that year too and from there i was camping in my truck at boat launches and sleeping in the marshes and just drive around knocking on as many doors as I can trying to find big feeds and just getting people out there with a bunch of buddies and try to see if we can all have some fun and shoot some birds. 
All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind, and had the whole place to ourselves, all for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their US-built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game, predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit infiniteoutdoorsusa.com and use code NOMADIC15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I've got one of my really good friends. Unfortunately, he did not get into hunting when I lived there. We went to school. We were like best friends. I'm like, dude, you got to come out. You got to come out. You got to come out. I move out of state for college, and he hits me up, and he's like, dude, I got into hunting this year. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? And, yeah, he did the exact same thing. He's like, all right, check it out. I just bought a new rifle, a new bow, a new shotgun. I got a duck boat. I got a bunch of decoys. I bought a dog that I'm going to train. And I'm like, dude, when, I mean, when people get the bug, they really get oh. it. It is not like a tiptoe sport. You're, you're all in once you experience what, what it is that we're talking about. Absolutely. And it's just, it's just fun to be able to get out there with buddies about waterfowl hunting. And it's just a good time. You got you waterfowl hunt quite a bit around. Oh, I love it. I I absolutely love it. I think at one point it was probably my number one. Like I just was eaten up with it. Like it, being where I'm at here in Southwest Missouri, and I say this quite a bit on the podcast, but it's just yeah. not the greatest area for waterfowl. Like if you can successfully get birds here, it like you're doing something right because there's just not a ton of them. There's a decent migration, but they seem to split right around Southwest Missouri. And so if you can successfully bag birds here, you can do it just about anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I think when, when I first started waterfowl hunting, I was probably in my teens and my uncle got into it and it was just another thing to do, you know, and my net or my cousin got into it. He started getting into competitive calling and he's now competitive calling again. And it was, he was like, all right, Hey man, this is what we're going to do. And I remember, you know, I've got these waders on that are three sizes too big for me. I'm standing in these reeds and it's like picturesque, right? A small little pocket pond just surrounded by six foot tall reeds. We're standing there. And I remember to this day, I will never forget this image or this feeling a Drake Mallard is just back flapping right in front of me. I mean, like eight feet off my barrel. And he's like, take him. And I pull up and I don't know if he was being nice or if I actually was the one that shot him, but I remember standing up and pulling the trigger and that sucker folded. And I was like, I just shot something out of the air. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. And after that, I was like, man, give me a call. I'm going to start calling. He gave me like the butt gardener, double nasty, uh, I still have it on my lanyard. Uh, first call I ever had started blowing that. And then 
from there, I was just, I was hooked. And to this day, I mean, that's when, when I can get guys together and actually go on a trip somewhere and waterfowl hunt, there's not much that beats it. Oh, absolutely. We had, we had a group of guys around my area. There's a lot of people that hunt and we had a group of guys that went out South, South Dakota this year and they went and hunted on a bunch of the public land that's private land's not posted because South Dakota, if the land's not posted, you can hunt on it. And they went out to South Dakota and they ended up, they ended up doing really good on some land they found on a couple of couple big fields. They ended up shooting their limit of field ducks every day and a decent amount of snows and specks. And they just did this on a weekend. They drove down on a Friday all night and hunted Saturday, Sunday and came home. They did they did good, and that's one thing I'd really want to go out and do is just do it on your own, go out west and try to get on some different species. In Ohio, we don't get very many snows or specks. We get occasional speck that comes through or snow, but not like it is out west. Yeah, the the thing about waterfowl, man, you can find them in such crazy landscapes. I would have never guessed it. We were at like 10,000 feet in the mountains on a mountain goat hunt, and there were gadwall and teal hanging out on this like dammed up creek uh there was a giant like 100 foot long beaver dam and then it looks like looked like a flood kind of washed even more debris in but there were birds landing on it and i'm like dude you know how cool that would be like a couple buddies to pack in here you know hike in 10 miles set up camp on this trout stream and then shoot ducks and just have like a cast and blast for a few days that would be amazing what state was that in that was in Colorado. But who drew the mountain goat tag? My buddy Sean. He's the luckiest human being alive. I'm waiting to get the call. I just know this year or next year he's going to draw his big horn because he drew his he drew his moose first. He called me. Up. Yeah, he drew his moose, and he's like, "Dan, we're going moose hunting. I need you to take two weeks off of work." And I'm like, "I'm all in." So I told work about it right away. Not the next year, but the year after that, he drew his mountain goat tag. Calls me, Dan, I need you to take time off work. We're going mountain goat hunting. And then uh, he didn't draw last year. I think his dad put in for a bunch of stuff, and he wanted to help his dad get uh, a few animals. And so um, I think this year he put in for bighorn, and we'll see if he gets it. We're, we put in for the Colorado moose. Uh, I put in for mule deer tags. Uh and I drew for another point for uh, Bighorn. But mostly I'm just trying to shoot a mule deer this year with my bow if I draw a tag or not. I drew on some harder units, so I'm probably not going to draw, but I just want to build my points up because I want to get on unit 55. That's a really good unit for big mule deer, and but it takes a lot of points to get in for a non-resident. Yeah. And we also put in for Kentucky elk, which right now they, you can put in for $10 per season. It's cow tag. Uh, bull tag and well, cow tag and bull tag for both season and gun season and it's like 10 30 bucks to put in for all three i mean it's not very successful but if you get in is it if you get into the draw then you should shoot your bull shoot i need to i need to reevaluate is it closed now because i put in for kentucky but yeah. i don't think i put in for i didn't i didn't realize that i could put in for all those i figured it was like a one and done type of thing I just didn't read read up enough about it. Did you put it for the Kentucky Elk? Yeah. Okay. That ended that ends I think the 10th cuz different than the Colorados and that west uh, ending dates. 
I'm going to have to look at that and put in for, for all three, because yeah, I'm pretty sure I only put in for one thinking it was just like out West. I mean, like you can put in for multiple units and seasons and stuff like is your first, second, third choice, whatever. But you know, I didn't realize, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how I misread that, but I'm going to have to take a look. Cause I put in for Kentucky. I put in for, uh, Pennsylvania. I put in for Maine moose and then we a bunch of Western States. We put in for Maine too. That success. That's like just a good, I mean, you have, everyone has their own chance of getting that tag and as you, we have a good shot at getting that tag. It's just, draw i mean it's just lottery tat or lottery system so it doesn't matter how many points you have for the main one i mean i don't know if they did do points for the main because this is the first year putting in for the main moose yeah yeah you still have points and i don't know what the weight system is on it like if how they determine your your odds i guess if it's just like a straight across because i know some places they'll like multiply the amount of points you have by a certain number and then it gives you that many more chances to just kind of weigh out or you know make you feel like you've got a better chance than you probably do yeah but yeah main would be sweet i de- i i put in for all my stuff in colorado put in for a bunch of other western states and you know fingers crossed i every year i'm not like a superstitious guy i'm not the guy who thinks like oh man i'm gonna go get a lottery ticket and hopefully win but every year, for some reason, I just I'm like, this is the year, man. I'm gonna draw Colorado Moose, and my wife's probably pretty happy that I don't because the price tag that comes along with it. Absolutely, but that would be there. In New Finland are two places I would want to go hunt moose at. New Finland is pretty cool. We got a guy who lives down the road. He's been past. He went past like three years in a row. He shot a bull. And he, it's a, like a four-hour ride on a gator, and they are packed in way in the back country for, I think they do a 12-day hunt. And the pictures he has when he comes back are just incredible. It's just that, that area just looks so beautiful. See, that's the exciting part to me, like the adventure of it, right? You go back, my buddy Weston, he went and did a black bear hunt in Canada, and he's like, dude, we were – we were like standing on top of a four wheeler driving through a shallow end of a lake, like to where my boots, if I didn't have like muck boots on my feet would have gotten wet. It was all the way up over the seat and you know, they've got the snorkel and stuff, but hearing those stories where it's like, it's, it's an adventure just to get to where you're hunting. Those are my favorite. I, I don't know. I, I like all kinds of hunting, but to me that just adds to it tenfold. Right. Whereas if you're just at a lodge and you walk out the back and it's like, oh, there's your elk, go ahead and shoot it. it. I'm sure I'd have a ton of fun with it, but I would much rather be in the middle of nowhere. Like you might break down, you might have to call for help. It's going to take you, you know, an hour and a half to drive back on a four wheeler to your base camp. That's my kind of hunt. I love the adventure more than the harvest. I mean, the harvest is the bonus, but the stuff you get to see and stuff you got to go through to get that animal. That's what really makes the story up for me and just the adventure for me. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Uh, so I get asked all the time, like for people that I talk to in person and I talk about all the hunts that I do, they're like, what do you do for a living? Because not everybody gets to travel and hunt all, all over the place. And I feel very fortunate and blessed. Uh, I'm sure you probably get that question and I've got a feeling there's listeners going, dude, what does this guy do? I mean, he's hunting all over the place all the time. 
Uh, I am in high school still. It's my yeah. last year. I'm, I'm a senior this year in high school, and I started this as a freshman in high school. I was 16 as a freshman, and I missed a lot of school, but our school went to online, so I was able to keep up with school on the computer. So I would do as many trips as I could, either down south in Ohio, knocking on doors, out to West Virginia, or out west to take a week off, just go out west. And I just take off school, and I would just go and just try to enjoy life as much as I can before I have to go and work my life away a little bit. Dang, I didn't realize you were still in high school. I, I picture you now like sitting up in a tree stand or being out west somewhere with the green screen and you've got your computer like looking for an elk and trying to convince your teacher you're sitting in a room somewhere. When we started doing Zoom when COVID hit, uh, that was when my time really shined because we had that whole year of school off. It was all online. So we'd Zoom in school or Zoom for school. And there's a lot of times where I'd, I'd be hunting while I was on Zoom. I'd throw an AirPod in. And the f first day of Ohio deer season, I went out to go fill a doe tag. And I Zoomed me spotting stalking a doe <laughs> on Zoom. And I was able to shoot. I shot that deer on Zoom spotting stalk. And my teacher told me that I was allowed to take class off for the day and go get the deer, which was, a <laughs> and she wrote a whole story about that on her Facebook page about how she just loves teaching because every day is different. And then I've waterfowl hunted a lot on Zoom and turkey hunted on Zoom as well. <laughs> that is awesome. I've, I've never had to be on a Zoom call when I'm out hunting, but that is, yeah, that's quite the story being on Zoom for class and <laughs> shooting a doe that but mostly for school i would every weekend i'd try to i mostly after school i'd go to work and after work if i had to go check cameras i would do most of that stuff if i had to in the dark and it sucked but i'd have a lot of spots where i'd be running 10 to 15 cameras and i with school and work after school it was hard for me to go and do all this stuff in the daylight so i'd hang stands in the dark and i'd go put corn out in the dark and the high we're allowed to bait and I do everything in the dark and during the weekends I'd say my better spots for the weekends if I had to go work on them but a lot of the urban spots around here because I do do a lot of urban hunting yeah and I hunt some big land down south but a lot of my hunting's urban because a lot of these a lot of these big deer in Ohio they are a lot they feel a lot more comfortable behind houses because yeah. there's not pressure around there but they know to move. They know when to move, and that's like dead middle of the night. And every once in the, every once in a while, you can catch a movement with the rut coming up, and just or if the weather drops cold. But a lot of times, you got to hunt those funnels behind houses. And I've had a lot of success chasing whitetail in some urban spots when it's just like a funnel between houses, and the deer are moving between the houses, and that's that's probably my favorite type of white telling just being close to like the houses and everything, just that whole environment. It's just a lot different. Yeah. That, that seems like it'd be a weird feel to it. Uh, being that close, but hearing about all these different hunters all over the country. And I, I know a guy here in Springfield that he does the same thing. And he's like, dude, you'd be blown away by the type of deer that are hanging out right behind the McDonald's or right behind a boat dealership. And he's like, and they're so patternable, you know, they're on five acres and that's it. And so, you know, exactly where they're going for food, water, and cover. And they're going to do it the same time every single day. 
yeah, it's just a matter. You can get a good access point where they don't know you're in there. Yeah. That's the big thing about hunting these urban spots. You can get, if you can get away with getting in there and getting out without being detected, then you have a really good chance of getting shot at that deer. Yeah. This deer, my biggest deer behind me, that one, I ended up shooting him on a 15 acre piece. And I, that spot, I knew where he was bedding. And I was able to slip in because the property is just a big hillside. So I just walk up the hillside and it flattened out to a big oak flat and big thick thorn bushes. And I was able to slip in, get my stand up. And I was like 40 yards from the bedding. And the first night I hunted him, I was sitting, I had a camera out. I got a photo of him running some does and I was out to eat. And I left the restaurant, gave my card to my buddies to pay for my food. I'm leaving. So I ran back home, grabbed my grab my bow and went out to the property and I ended up seeing this buck the day before I shot it. He ended up running into 20 yards, but I just did not have a window and I was not trying to make the mistake. It was the same. I just wanted a good shot before I was going to take the shot. And I just made a decision not to shoot it. And I just let it work these does off and watched him chase these does had a couple other like one thirties, one forties come in. And I was just holding off this deer so the sun started going down. I was like, I'm going to get out early. I'm not trying to bust anything for the morning. So I got out of the stand early. And that next morning was when time changed. And I didn't realize that. So I ended up getting in the stand a little bit later than I'd like to. And that was a cold, crisp morning. It was actually pretty slow. I didn't see my first deer till about 9 o'clock. And about 9 o'clock, I had a group doze work his way in. And I heard something like rustling in the back. And I look back, and all I see is just him coming up the hill. And he came running over, ran these does right under my tree stand. And I ended up shooting this deer right under my tree stand, about one yard away. And he ended up running up the hill and expiring up there. But that was one of the most adrenaline-filled hunts. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now, I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters, and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me, and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah, jeez, man, that is... That's nuts. I I have not urban hunted yet. We've actually got a deal here in town. It's the Springfield Nature Center, and they give out like a handful of tags every year. You have to apply for it, and you can build points. But I've never hunted there. I used to hike there all the time, and you walk around, and it's hilarious because you'll be three feet from deer. Like, you're on the trail, and the, these deer are so used to people, and part of me is like, man, there's no... It's not really a chess match at all. Like you've, you've got a bow in hand and you could literally just walk around on the trails until you see a deer that you want to shoot. But 
there are some monsters that get pulled out of that that property every single year. And so I'm like, would it be worth it to draw, you know, or would I feel like I didn't do enough? Whereas what you're talking about, these things are used to human presence, but not used to pressure as far as hunting goes. And so like you walk in there at the wrong time and you bump them out, who knows what they're going to do. I mean, if you end up bumping one of these deer out, I've noticed that either they go strictly nocturnal or they just disappear. Yeah. And, and usually if you only got one shot of these deer, which I've hunted some bigger parties down south where I've had a mistake happen and I've ended up having the deer come back in. But these urban spots, if they feel any pressure at all, they just get out of there. Yeah. Man, I, I've got to try that. I've got to start asking for permission around here because I know there's a lot of spots real close to town or in town where, I mean, it's like you can't, you can't go a night without seeing a deer. You just drive by a come and go gas station and there's deer all over in the field next to it. That's how it is around here. There's a couple of spots up north of us and you drive around this developments and there's 150s, 160s bed down on sidewalks, but nobody. Oh and it is, it's just cool to go out there and watch them. But there are some giants up there that they have no pressure on them. If you can slip into a spot to be able to hunt them, then you would shoot a big one every year. Yeah. There's all up there. Are you uh this year? Do you have a group of bucks that you've been following that you're going after this this season? This year was my probably my hardest season for having pre big mature whitetail. I had a couple deer that I was following that were about in the 145, 150s, but they were pretty much nocturnal. They would never break daylight. And they were mostly spent a lot of their time on the neighbor property and would not come over to my property till about sundown. And when I was on my way down to Colorado, I had a couple of my hit list deer show up in daylight. As only did, I had those deer show up in daylight was when I was in Colorado. So when I got back home, I started hunting a new property that was down south, had no history with it, had a couple nice deer show up. As season started getting closer to an ending, I ended up having a decent 130s eight point come out and I was able to shoot that. And I was happy with that because I was ready to go out and start waterfowl hunting because it's hard to get out waterfowl hunt and deer hunt all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, it's tough. The fall really throws you some curveballs when it comes to different species being open. Cause like yeah. you want to hunt them all. But for me, it's really hard to walk away. If I see a deer, like a mature buck in daylight, like it doesn't matter what trip I've got planned. My problem is I always, same thing with you. I'm heading out to Colorado to hunt something. I'm heading out to a different state to hunt something. And all of a sudden, that's when the buck shows up in daylight right in front of my stand. And it drives me freaking crazy. It's like they know. It's like they watch me drive out of town and they're like, all right, we're free. We're clear. We can hang out until he gets back. I had to turn my camera off this year when that happened because he stayed around there for about two hours past my stand about six or so. I just shut notifications off. It hurt too bad. I was like, I'm going to Colorado. We're going to have to chase some after some elk and enjoy this time and not worry about the whitetail back home. Cause I ended up starting stressing about it, trying to, trying to get in front of one of these whitetails where it, it drives me nuts. If I can't get a chance and this year they whooped my butt. They did. Yeah. Dang, man. That sucks. Are you, uh, are you filming your hunts or documenting them somewhere? This was my first year ever starting to film. And the one day I didn't bring my camera out is when I ended up shooting that buck. <laughs> but 
I started filming. I filmed my bear hunt. I filmed a couple kids shoot their first deer. And I'm starting to get into it. It's just hard to learn that discipline of taking that camera out, setting it up, and just a whole new responsibility going out in the woods is learning to film and worrying about the camera before the shot. It's just... I'm not that good at it yet, but I'm trying to get better at it. I got to get a better camera on my camera on my guys. Just some cheapy and it moves a lot. And have about- I, I did that for a couple of years. I had a, like a cheap, I, I don't know if I found it at Walmart or what, but I mean, it's like a mojo stick, like bolted together, you know, you screw it into the tree and then it just pivots and it hardly does its job. And uh, yeah, I ended up getting a nicer camera arm but i'm still i still struggle like i had to hire my buddy he's going to start following me around on hunts because i get out there and as soon as a deer or any animal shows up that camera might as well not even exist i'm just like it's go time i'm going to shoot this thing and i always forget to hit record yeah i i'm just not good at that i really i'm good i'm good buddies with the legendary tv show they have a hunting show on the outdoors channel they live not too far far from me and they care way. They were just down uh, Florida this past week, and they didn't shoot a bird this weekend because they wasn't on film, so they wouldn't shoot it. And I, I, I just don't have that discipline. I, if I had an opportunity on a bird, I'm going to take it, and I would not worry about the camera. See, and I don't understand that. I mean, if if you go down there to hunt, and it's like, all right, I can either get a bird and not get it on camera or not get a bird and still have no footage – I'm shooting the bird, you know, at least you don't come back empty handed. Yeah. At this point for them, it's kind of their job now. So I yeah. guess, that, but I, I don't got that discipline of trying to worry about the camera more than the hunt itself. I'd, I'd rather try to enjoy it in person more than the camera, but yeah, I'm going to try to film my next couple of white tail hunts. I'm going to film all this Turkey season. I'm going to try to film Wyoming and everywhere I go this year, just trying to get better at it. But just so I have something to remember those moments later on, I'll post them on YouTube, but yeah. Are you now, I mean, you get to travel a bunch and hunt a bunch of different things. So you're checking things off your list every Mm -hmm. year. It seems like what's your number one. Like if I said, this is it, man, like you get any hunt this year, where are you going? What are you hunting? And what weapon are you using? Bighorn sheep, Colorado, absolutely number one. Any sheep species, but bighorn's number one. Uh, if I had the opportunity to go out for bighorn, I'm bringing a rifle because that's that's a once in a lifetime hunt that would be for for me at least. And going out for those, that is just a total different environment. Being up in the high country, chasing those would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. Sheep, I mean, I hear people who get that sheep bug and they just want to go and they, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to do it. Mm -hmm. But for me, I just don't know. There's so many unknowns with it, I think is what it is. Like the gear that you use is different. You know, you're not taking the same stuff as you would just elk hunting. You're, you're having to traverse terrain that like, I think, Elk hunting's hard sometimes where I'm like, man, this is tough. Yeah. Dude, I mean, that is as gnarly as it gets. Like the fact that these animals survive up there, same with mountain goats. Like the fact that they can survive in some of these places blows my mind. 
some of those locations, I see mount. I've seen mountain goats and some locations, seeing them on the side of those rocky hills. It's just incredible how they get around that area. Yeah, I think it'd be sweet for sure. I I'd be afraid to catch the sheep bug because that's the type of thing. Like I I don't want to get hooked on something that I'm only going to be able to do once in my life. Or you know, I I say that you can draw a sheep tag in a lot of different states now, but the price tag that comes with that, the amount of time that comes with that, I mean, the physical shape, like you have to stay in shape. There, you're not going out there as a, you know, super heavy dude climbing up a mountain in your 60s. Someone's probably going to say something and be like, no, that's my uncle. He does that every year. But I just can't imagine even me in the physical shape that I'm in now. I work out almost every day to go up and chase those sheep around. That is intimidating. I mean, I'm, I'm still young, but I, I'd, I'd have to put in some work before I went out there. Cause that's a total different train than what I'm used to, especially the air. You're up that high. The air is so much thinner and, and you gotta, that would just be a lot harder just on yourself, not even physically, but mentally as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm up for a good challenge. I, that's one of my favorite parts about hunting is those moments where you're like, dude, this is never going to end. I feel like I'm going to die right now. But then you look back on it and it's a hundred percent worth it and you wouldn't trade it for the world. So I'm not going to shy away from a challenge like that, but sheep is probably the thing I am most intimidated by as far as actually getting out there and, and trying to envision succeeding in it. Another hunt we were kind of looking at is the, Hawaii axis deer that would be a really cool one they have a huge really big population of them and they're all at like different stages some are in velvet and some are hard horned and that would be a really cool hunt and those are actually really successful hunts with rifle but with bow if you go out there at I guess the success rate's like only like five percent with a bow out there because it's just those, those animals are in those big wide open flats and it's just hard to get close to them yeah, that would be fun. I, I'd be all about that hunt. My thing, the other thing I think about when traveling and hunting is meat preservation, right? So I get kind of intimidated by that. Like, where where am I going to be able to take this thing, especially in Hawaii? You know, odds are you're not going to be flying out there with a couple big Yeti 100-quart <laughs> coolers. Uh, and so to figure out, okay, how am I going to preserve this meat? Is there a processor that's going to take it? What about the mount? All of that stuff. But in most of these places for destination hunts, there's a, a local place to do it. It just takes a little bit more time and, and research. A lot of that is like the shipping's the most expensive part. Shipping all that meat bag, shipping the hide back, or getting it mounted there and shipping it back home. That's where a lot of the money is in for those out-of-state, like real exotic places. See, I, I say I cracked the code. It's, I think it's probably a pretty well-known thing at this point. When we hunted Alaska and we went fishing up there, I figured out that uh, you can basically take your meat in somewhere, take your fish in somewhere, they'll bag it up, they'll vacuum seal it, they'll freeze it for you, they'll package it up in a cardboard box with a styrofoam insert, and it'll stay frozen. But you can just pay for an extra bag on the airline and fly back with it as an additional bag. And so we, it's funny because in Alaska, you go to the airport 
in almost every airport you go to there, you'll see guys with like the big luggage carts. I mean, they're pushing it around and it's just loaded with these white boxes and you know, man, that guy really got into salmon. Oh, he got, he was successful with his moose, whatever. And it's fun because you talk to all those people. It's like, Hey man, what'd you come up here for? And they tell you, they tell you what they shot, what they caught. And, uh, it's just a really cool environment up there. I don't think every state's going to be like that, but Alaska, they make it very easy and very friendly for non-residents. Alaska is one place I would like to go look, look at and just explore. Not even just on the hunting aspect, aspect, but also just to explore and hike around. Cause I've seen foes Alaska and it is beautiful. Yeah. I've only, I've only got to explore Kodiak and it was unreal. I would recommend it to everybody and the hunting, the fishing, the wildlife viewing, everything about it is insane. In fact, the guy that we took, we, we took a bush plane and it was like a bear viewing thing. And he informed us as we're flying over these remote lakes in like Southwest Kodiak Island, he's like, Oh, you see that cabin down there? We're like, yeah. He's like, that's owned by the state and you can rent that cabin out. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, you know, you got to hire a bush pilot and we'll drop you on the lake. We'll pull it right up to the, right up to the cabin. He's like, there's a bear box outside. You have to keep all of your stuff in it. There's no running water. You collect and filter your water. And he's going through all of this stuff. He's like, yeah, it's propane. Uh, everything's propane inside. We don't have electricity on these spots. And I'm like, dang, how much is it per night? And he's like, oh, they're about 39 bucks a night. And I was like, what? You mean I can like fly up here, come salmon fish in this remote lake in the middle of nowhere, be surrounded by grizzly bears and black-tailed deer for 39 bucks a night? And so ever since then, I've regretted my bachelor party because I was like, we stayed local. I'm like, dude, that would be the most epic bachelor party ever to go fish in Alaska at a remote cabin in the middle of nowhere. Did you guys just fish for salmon or did you guys fish for halibut at all? We fished for everything, yeah. So we fished for salmon, halibut, lingcod, rockfish. Um, man, I can't. I have no idea how many how many pounds of fish we brought back. It had to have been a couple hundred pounds of fish, and we didn't. So that that trip and that lake that we were on that was just for a bear viewing deal. But we saw like fifty something grizzly bears that day. We were I was yards from a sow and cubs, like. We had cubs 10 yards in front of us playing for an hour and a half while their mom was catching fish, bringing them to shore. They'd go over, take it from her, eat everything they could, and they'd go back to wrestling right in front of us. Uh, and, I mean, you see whales up there. Like, we had whales slapping their tail right next to us. There's sea lions or seals, um, porpoises. There's sharks. Like, I didn't think Alaska was a place that had sharks, right? And yeah. we're, we're catching fish and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, just reeling the rod is bent in half. And then all of a sudden it goes slack and he's like, yep, another shark just got your fish. I'm like a shark. Really? And he's like, oh yeah, dude, there's sharks all over. They'll follow these boats around and just steal the fish off their lines. And yeah. it's, it's just the most wild place. Everybody needs to check out Alaska. What did halibut taste like? It was phenomenal. And it was huge. I don't know. I don't remember how many pounds he estimated that that thing weighed, but watching Jonathan, the, one of the guys that I went with, yeah. he was reeling that in and it was like the most exciting and like terrifying look on his face. Just like 
His forearms are burning, but he just can't wait to see this thing. Uh, but yeah, halibut was good. Yellow eye was amazing. Um, the salmon's always good. Rockfish is good. It's it's just a sportsman's paradise up there. Absolutely. During the off season, we we try to make our way down to the Keys every year, and we do a lot of offshore offshore fishing out there and shark fishing out there and catching those groupers and snappers off the wreck. That's that's a blast out there too. Doing that. See, Alaska is the only place I've ever like deep sea fished. And so I want to get down to Florida. I mean, we go to Florida all the time. And the fact that I haven't really hunted or fished anything in Florida, I still don't understand why I made that choice, but I can't wait to get down there. Seeing those Goliath grouper. Oh yeah. My problem is I just, I get, I have such an addictive personality to where like, if I get into something, I'm going all in. So if I start shark fishing, if I go spe spear fishing, I think is the coolest thing ever. And I haven't done it yet, but I want to so bad. And I, first time this year. Oh man, that, that just blows my mind. But I will say I'm not afraid of sharks, but yeah. those Goliath grouper are the most terrifying fish I think I've ever seen. Like the size of them, they could just swallow you whole. They're, they actually opened up a tagging system so you can harvest one a year or something like that. Or it's a draw system so you can actually harvest one and take it back and eat it. That would be an awesome thing to go and do is catch a big one and go and harvest it. Because there's a lot of meat on those. Oh, yeah. And that, that was halibut, too. Halibut just had so much meat. You get four monster fillets off of them. And I I did not catch one. I haven't caught one in the two trips that I've been up there, but I can't wait to actually get up there and do it. Yeah. What uh before before we hop off, I know we're coming up on an hour. Um, before we hop off, why don't you share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along, where they can see some of the footage that you that you took this last season. Well, you can always follow my Instagram on raf underscore boo. Uh, I post most of my stuff on there, just wild game and everything I hunt and all my travels. Uh, also got a little YouTube channel started called Next Generation Outdoors. And we've posted a couple videos there, but we're trying to get some more videos going to be able to post up there. We got a video of one of my buddies, Mason, shooting a 200-inch whitetail out in, in Texas this year. And that was a pretty cool experience. So that should be up eventually we've had the footage for quite a bit we just gotta get sit down and actually edit it yeah i'm excited to see that dude the 200 inch whitetail man that's no joke like yeah. seeing seeing the statistics if you look at the statistics of how many people actually shoot like a boone and crockett or a pope and young buck with their bow it's very low i mean they're it's like 10 percent of people in their lifetime ever even shoot that and so then i can only imagine what the what the odds of shooting a 200 inch are his goal is just to go down and shoot like a 140s and he ended up shoot uh, he drew back on like a 140s and his bow ended up hitting the blind or something his arrow went right over its back and i think the next day that deer ended up coming in they never seen it before on the farm and he's able to see absolutely pinwheeled it and went like 40 yards and crashed and that, that was a big texas deer yeah that would be sweet. Well, dude, I appreciate you hopping on. I feel like we could swap stories for quite a while, but uh, good luck this season with all your upcoming hunts, and uh, 
we'll keep in touch, man. We'll have to get together and do a hunt at some point. Absolutely. Thank you.